Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Was at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 32494, the earliest show in the archive, 32494. My interview with Donald Trump from 110-2011. 110-2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. I've been waiting quite a long while to interview Jack Carr the number one New York Times bestselling author and former Navy SEAL. You may remember that I mentioned his book, The Terminalist, because I became infatuated by the production on Netflix, The Terminalist, and I watched it several times over the last year. Well, we tried to get Jack on the podcast before, but his publisher said, -uh, no, no, not until he finishes his new book. Well, his new book is out now, and it's called, what is it called here? Here it is. It's called Only the Dead. Well, you know, look, I've written three best-selling novels, and I'm going to not blow my own horn, but I'll tell you, I know how hard it is to do these things. These books are very hard to put down, and that's because Jack's books, The Terminalist, True Believer, Savage Son, Hello, The Devil's Hand and In the Blood, are based upon things he really knows as a former Navy SEAL. Terminalist was adapted into the uh, number one Amazon Prime video series starring Chris Pratt. Incredible. You can visit Jack at officialjackcar.com, follow him on Instagram, etc. The new book is very interesting because it's about an assassination of an American congressman who's gunned down in Rhode Island as he's docking his boat in Newport. And you'll hear more about that as I interview Jack momentarily on the uh, Savage Nation podcast here. Because he's driving a 38-foot Grand Banks yacht, which is very interesting uh, when he's, I, I can't tell you anymore. Because my book, uh, what was it called? Where, where's my novel? The first one where I based it on my 59 Grand Banks. Anyway, we're both boaters, I guess. I'm going to ask him. I can't wait to ask him. So the book is about this assassination, the world on the brink of war because of a war between Ukraine and Russia. It's very clearly spelled out in this book. And what's most interesting to me is the Russian perspective that Jack Carr keeps bringing up in his novel, Only the Dead. Nobody seems to even understand the Russian mentality or try to understand the Russian mentality. He understands there's two sides to a war, which means there's two sides to a peace. And, and I think that's why this podcast is doubly important. So the novel's about the world on the brink of war, a weakened United States. Sound familiar? facing rampant inflation, political division, assassinations, a secret cabal of global elites ready to assume control. Does it all sound familiar? And the world's most dangerous man is locked in solitary confinement, and they believe the final obstacle to completing their domination has been eliminated. Well, they're wrong. And in the novel, from the firms of Wall Street to the corridors of power, Washington, D.C. and Moscow, you'll see the novel unfold. And with the odds stacked against them, the character James Reese is on a mission that is generations in the making. 
Unfortunately for his enemies, the former SEAL is not concerned with odds. He's on the war path. And when James Reese picks up his tomahawk and sniper rifle, no one is out of range. Well, that's the novel, Only the Dead. And now we bring to you the great writer and Navy SEAL, not former. You don't say former Marine. You say Marine and you say you don't say former Navy SEAL and Navy SEAL Jack Carr. Welcome to the Michael Savage podcast, Jack. Hello. Hi, Jack. Hey, Michael. How are you? Well, I've been waiting to do this interview for months now, but your publisher kept you away from us saying, oh, oh no, did. he's got to finish his new book, which you did. And it, it's a hell of a book, Jack. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah, they were trying to uh, protect me as much as they possibly could. First of all, Jack, it is a true honor to have you on the Michael Savage podcast. I already read the introduction before you arrived, so I don't have to repeat the incredible background that you have. But, you know, the book is the issue. You're, you're on a book tour. Your time is limited. I started to read Only the Dead. I couldn't put it down. I particularly was fascinated, Jack, by the Russian mentality that you incorporate because no one seems to think Russians are human beings anymore, which is astounding to me since, if I recall correctly, when Trump was president, it was both the Russian and Air Force in combined force that defeated ISIS. Right. And it's uh, I like to humanize these characters. It's too easy not to do that, uh, especially when you're creating these new characters that aren't going to make it. Usually the bad guys aren't going to make it to the end of the novel. Uh, so you get to explore new bad guys with each and every book and they can't just be cardboard cutouts you have to humanize them in one way shape or form and i find a good way to do that is to look at the united states through their eyes and offer that perspective uh, what would i think if i was a russian intelligence officer what would i think if i was a russian military officer in a leadership position or somebody down at the ground level um, how would those opinions differ um, and it also helps a reader to differentiate between characters and the Russian ones. It's hard to have different Russian sounding Russian last names. That's very difficult. I put them up on a little board before I start and uh, and make sure that they don't start with the same last letter. They finish with a different letter because uh, that's that's difficult when you're writing Russian characters. But uh, but I have a, a great time doing that. But I also find that a lot of those if I'm looking at the United States through the enemy's eyes, a lot of their opinions of the United States kind of fall into a camp that uh, within the United States is tearing us apart. And if I was them in real life, I might not need to do too much if I wanted to defeat the United States or knock us down a few levels. I might just sit back and watch, maybe prod something along here. You mean like putting a, uh, a cross dresser in the recruitment division of the U.S. Navy? <laughs> One of many uh, ploys that could possibly cause additional division within the ranks. And by ranks, I mean the citizenry. Um, just by it, it seems like we're doing a pretty good job of destroying ourselves from the inside. But as a, a former Navy, when we say Marine, we're not allowed to say former Marine. We say Marine. Is it the same with SEALs? Not really. We don't get it is. I, I agree with you. It is sometimes confusing with the Marines. Um, <laughs> OK, got I it. I did write that into the, one of my novels, actually. But uh, yeah, former SEAL is just fine. Well, you know, that's a big part of this interview and your novel. Obviously, L let me begin with this, Jack. When I watched the terminal list on Netflix, I didn't know what it was. I just clicked it on and I had not heard about it. I hadn't seen it. You know, I'm an inveterate movie watcher at night to relax, to get my mind off reality. And, you know, life imitates art, art imitates life, the whole deal. But I love movies. I always have since I'm a child. I grew up in the age of radio, so I predate television. 
It's an amazing thing. So I watch movies and they become very real to me. So I watch your incredible story before uh, Only the Dead, The Terminalist, played by who's the who's the uh, actor who played it? Chris Pratt did a great job. I thought that was you, by the way. It was so yeah. well done. I thought he wrote the book, <laughs> but he didn't write the book. You, you know, you were the you were the, the seal. He was the actor. I loved the filming in California and particularly. I mean, it looked like my mountains here in Marin County when he's chased up the coast to Stinson Beach and runs off up in the hills. I mean, I've driven by there a thousand times, but it's actually filmed in Southern California. Were you involved in any of the filming? I was. I was usually they like to get rid of the author right away because they don't want the author <laughs> right. saying you ruined my vision, um, which is very <laughs> typical. But growing up also with a love of film, a love of these books, reading these thrillers and then watching how they were adapted to television or the screen, uh, I realized there's going to be changes and that's OK. The The book First Blood by David Morrell from 1972 uh, is a very different character than the one in Sylvester Stallone's movie in the early 80s. Uh, both fantastic, but they're, they're going to be changes. And so I realized that going in and they wanted me to be part of that process. So Chris Pratt, who optioned it, Antoine Fuqua, the director, mm. the show. David DeGilio, they kept me a part of that process from the option all the way through uh, putting the pilot together, putting the writer's room together, advising on all those scripts, going into production. That's I mean, amazing. Yeah, no, that's amazing, Jack. Normally they want you gone, as you said. I mean, yeah. the age of Hemingway, he always complained that his books were not translated into film very well, as I'm sure you've studied this and understand, you know, or whatever Hemingway, I, I grew up reading Hemingway. He was my hero. Oh, I have. This is my Hemingway books right here behind me. Oh, my God. So we have right a few there. things in common. Exactly. I love that his short story, the short, uh, the short happy life of Francis McComber is a favorite of mine. And actually, when Hemingway's uh, last typewriter, the one uh, the typewriter he used to write a movable feast, went up for auction in early 2020 and a friend, uh, well, a friend, a, a fan got it for me. And so it's sitting in the other room right now. How much did it go for? Uh, I think because I did go back and look, uh, <laughs> I think it was close to 30,000. So not. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, w I was fanatically as a young guy. Hemingway was my, you know, like my idol. Of course, his life ended terribly tra in such a tragic way. We don't have to go into that. But uh, what I'm saying is he always complained that his, his books were not translated properly into film. And it's very unusual, I think, that they would bring the author in, but they knew you had the knowledge that they needed. They would have hired a, an outside expert who couldn't have done a better job than you, which brings us back to Only the Dead, which reads to me as if it were reality. You accentuate the Russian mentality to go back to the book itself. And I underlined, as I was reading, Jack, some of these passages, if I'm going to if I could read some of them to you and see what you have to say about it, I'd like to know how you put your head into being a Russian. I mean, is this real or how could you do this uh, here? Sanctions on Russia and military aid for Ukraine, Kozak said status quo. He liked to use the American legal and military vernacular whenever possible, help to think like the enemy. Now, again, folks listening to the podcast, I'm reading from Jack's book, Only the Dead, and it's from a Russian perspective and he's inside uh, a thinking area for the Russian military. And they go on. One of the characters, Kozak, says they exploit the compassion of their own people to enrich their friends in the defense industry. He shook his head. They accuse us of consolidating power and wealth in the hands of an oligarchy when they have the very same system in the United States. Politicians, defense, tech, pharmaceuticals. They have their oligarchy, too. They just refuse to acknowledge it. Very interesting. 
Very true. And if the if uh, you know if I wrote that ten years ago, it would go ah oh, conspiracy thriller type of a <laughs> right. Today that is uh, been I would say proven quite true. If one's to look at what's going on in this country, honestly, uh, openly, without uh, too much bias. Um, but for me, it's looking at the Russian invasion of Ukraine was uh, not a difficult thing to predict. In fact, I write about it in my second novel, which came out in 2019, uh, called True Believer, um, which will be- Well, you did in 2019? 2019. Uh, we, I know where you're going. You're saying they were provoked in 2014? Well, we have we have that we can we can look at uh, and which I write into this book. But we also I mean, the, there's lessons from the end of the Cold War where we really set up this inevitability. And with that steep population decline in Russia among ethnic Russians, that is so steep. It means that after another generation, uh, they well, not even another generation, another decade, they will not be able to field an army because their population in the military age male uh, contingent won't be able to stand up and fight. So they had to do this. They had to invade by last year uh, with the uh, with with ethnic Russians being uh, outside of Russia, having being majority of people in Ukraine. So they don't need those people. Um, so that wasn't hard to predict. And if that's not hard to predict, then our reaction to it also from the Russian perspective is not that hard to predict. So if you know what we are going to do and you know that we are going to put these sanctions in place and there's plenty of historical precedent for that, then you can make a counter move ahead of time to make that play right into your hands. And in this case, I talk about that with financial markets and gas and oil ahead of time, futures contracts with China and with India. So if they're, with us being so predictable uh, and having this track record to look back on, for, have, for Russia not to have done that, that would be the shock. So I think what I what I write about in this book, as far as that stuff concerns, is concerned, is uh, I don't think it's too far from reality. In fact, I think it's probably the moves that they made. Yeah, but now, Jack, some are going to accuse you of being a, a stooge of Putin. <laughs> That's what happens if you ask a question. All of a sudden, you're a you're a stooge of Putin. Um, so yeah, that's just how it goes these days. What is that? Anyone who criticizes bloodshed is now a bad person. I remember what Hillary Hillary Clinton said: "Peace is uh, peace is patriotic." I like that line. Hey, it's not bad. That's not bad. But look at something thoughtfully. Look at put take the lessons of the past, apply them to the future or current decisions as wisdom. Uh, that's what we should expect from our leaders. But now if you just asked a question, you don't even have to criticize the war. Mm -hmm. You ask a question about it. And all of a sudden uh, you're, a, you're a Russian spy. Watch out, Jack. You're liable to wind up in a closed facility for even questioning the war. Oh, I know. I, uh, my wife and I sit down at the end of the night and then grab a glass of wine, sit on the couch. And uh, I say, don't let it be a surprise if uh, tomorrow my Simon and Schuster contract is uh, is canceled and I'm not <laughs> oh. on, not on social media, not on oh, YouTube. Oh, so, Lord. Um, we should prepare for these sort of contingencies. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I like your next line in Only the Dead. Their Time magazine, says the Russian, just praised the Ukrainian president as their man of the year, Levitsky offered. They honor a man who outlaws opposition parties, shuts down the Ukrainian Orthodox Church and uses American tax dollars to solidify his grip on power. Jack, come on. You're being <laughs> Putin's stooge here. I know sometimes the uh, the facts do get get in the way. Um, but if one is to look at something, something, honestly, I think that's and this is the Russian perspective, obviously. Um, but, but I don't think the American. 
I don't think all the American people go along with ABC, CBS, NBC and virtually every news outlet in the world uh, in seeing Zelensky as less than a hero. He just apply some common sense to to these things and not get manipulated. Usually when I see something that's a, a tweet, whether it's a, about a news article or whatever it might be, my question is, how does this person or this entity want to manipulate me? And in the age of social media and social media being a tool and all tools having the uh, there's an option to weaponize them, which social media obviously has been. There are some benefits, but it's a it is a tool and it is being used as a weapon to divide uh, and how am I being manipulated? That's a good question to ask when you see anything out there on social media or from legacy media. And it takes it means it's probably a good thing to go back in to the pages of history, do some reading, put the requisite time, energy and effort into whatever issue it is before you walk into that voting booth or retweet something, um, because that's what we owe. It's not really for us. It's for that next generation. The decisions we make today are really for them. And uh, if we don't go back in the pages of history, we don't spend that time studying that issue. It's really, uh, I mean, it's disrespectful to those who uh, sacrificed everything so we could have these options, these freedoms, these opportunities that we have today. Well, you, you, you put your life on the line by joining the SEALs. You didn't have to do that. And we could go into your, your, you know, your family background, your background, which I'd like to do in a moment. But I want to stick to the book for a minute and go right back to the opening scene without giving away the plots, those who are going to buy the book. So it's set aboard a 38 foot powerboat docking in Newport and something happens. And I was pleasantly surprised as I was reading it was a grand banks because I wrote a novel years ago called The Abuse of Power. And in it, I feature a 59 grand banks, which I. Oh, nice. Which. Amazing. Are you a boater? Are you, you're a boat guy. Oh, I'm a boat guy for sure for 45 years. But I had a GB 59. That wow. is the centerpiece of this novel. The The author lives aboard it. Jack Hatfield lives on it and his dog, blah, blah, blah. But he talks about the, the boat with such love and how it was built. Do you know the Grand Banks boats, by the way, well enough that you wrote about the 38 because you love that model? So I, I spent a little time on the East Coast. And uh, did you have that Grand Banks on the, on the no, West Coast? No, I had it here in San Francisco. Yeah, so San Francisco Banks, because you don't really see those too much in San Francisco. No, Bay. they're East it's, Coast boats. They're yeah, very popular in Seattle. Oh, are they? Okay. Uh, because of the weather up there. And of course, it's an East Coast boat. Yeah, exactly. So uh, being having this this chapter set on the East Coast, uh, going back to that time period, I did some research into uh, kind of what were the boats back then that people would aspire to uh, who's starting out, who are going to be the big names going forward. Uh, and the Grand Banks seemed like the the perfect boat for this. Uh, so. So I, so I did my research and I spent a little time on the East Coast, particularly around Fisher's Island, which I feature in uh, in my first novel predominantly uh, there at the end. And uh, so it just seemed like this was the this was the right boat for the for this uh, job. And I I use things like that as character development tools. Well, uh, just like I use as a Navy guy, I would think boats are quite important to your to your life. But I thought possibly you knew these boats so well because you own one or something like that, because I said, why did he pick a GB 38? And you talk about it. The fact, the fact is, it's as stable as a, a tank on land. They're solid. They're like railroad cars on the water. They're unbelievably well designed. And, and mm -hmm. I, I could go into boats for an hour now. But um, I, I love that scene. Love the boat. OK, we won't give the scene away. Then we go into the mind of the Russian, the minds of the Russian. And there's some other lines I'd like to read for the listener to uh, tempt them to buy the book, which is what this is all about. 
And it's the Russians talking to each other. Levitsky is one of the characters. And Levitsky, one of this, I guess, intelligence agents says, and Ukraine, bringing Ukraine back into the Federation gives us ownership over 25% of global wheat exports. We will then have control of a significant percentage of the world's energy and food supply. We can starve and freeze out the West, blah, blah, blah. Well, certainly true. And then uh, you talk about the battle that's coming and how they're going to try and sucker the United States into another war, which I won't give away. And then you say the West is fickle. Their illogical support for the corrupt Ukrainian government is depleting their coffers. NATO militaries are massing on Ukraine's borders and the CIA is operating with impunity inside the country. But they're falling into the same trap they set for the Soviet Union during the Cold War. It is time to hand them another defeat. Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan and now Ukraine, as the president has said, meaning Putin, the sower of the wind will reap the storm. I hate to bring it down to just history, but things don't look like they're going very well, very well for Russia right now. Or do you think that's part of their chess game? Well, they haven't really thrown the bodies at it that they typically do. Right. That's uh, how they, they that's how they fight wars. Masses yeah, of casualties. Get, Men don't matter. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So even if they're at, let's say, on the high end, let's say they're at 200,000 right now, they're still 300,000 people away from getting started uh, <laughs> in in. Thing, if you go back and look into the pages of history, so uh, so it depends. You know, I'm not sure how to analyze that. Like, is that is that the plan? Is that what they're going to do? Just throw bodies at the problem like they have in the past? I don't think so. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Jack, it's a different generation. You know, World War II under Stalin, life meant nothing. It was zero, and you know better than I that the the Russians put machine guns behind their troops. Anyone who retreated in a battle was shot in the back by their own. Machine gunners. I don't believe that's going to happen ever again. Do you? I don't know. I wouldn't be if I had if I read that tomorrow or saw a video of that tomorrow, I wouldn't be shocked you mean, uh, of the I, Russians I, I, doing that today. Right. Wow. I'd say, well, look what they did before. That would be if I got asked about that on a, uh, on a on a podcast or a news program, I would say, well, look back in the past. So so I guess I will. We wish we shall see. It's a it's a it's a tough situation, but it's not one that was wholly unpredictable or, or not. a not, shouldn't have been a shock. And we really did put these chess pieces into play early on after the end of the Cold War in the early 90s, all the way up to. By the time we got to 97, there was really no turning. Yeah, but back. Trump didn't want to go to war with Russia. You know, Jack, I've got to bring it back to Trump for a moment. I remember when he just had won in November of that year. I had him on my radio show at the time, and it was also a bad scene between the last president and, and, and Russia. They were already ginning up a war. Hillary wanted a war. They kept demonizing Putin, rightly or wrongly, but making, making him much worse than he actually was, even though he's terrible to look at in, in the scope of from Western civilization's point of view, terrible dictator, blah, blah, blah. People disappear. They get poisoned. They eat uh, uh, polonium sushi whenever they travel abroad. If they don't like you, you get a nice dish of polonium sushi, sushi in London. OK, so we know it's, it's not a great place to be if you stand up to the government. Unfortunately, we're becoming closer and closer to them in this country. That's what I don't like. Obviously, you don't either. And in your books, you kind of make a pretty clear case for the fact that we're still doing terrible things right now. Like you open the scene with someone in a, in a dark, horrible cell here in America who's an enemy of the state. Is that does that really happen? 
I don't know. It uh, <laughs> certainly happens or happened overseas at uh, CAA black sites over the last 20 years. Uh, does it still go on? I'm I'm not sure. I'm out of that world now. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it happens in the United States, but it certainly happens overseas. What I'm really doing is taking some of that overseas experience, dropping it into the United States because it is a uh, new and dynamic situation with how I ended the last book. So um, I wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't shock me. Wow. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Is there any way to end this war before it becomes a limited nuclear war? Why is there no negotiations here from the West? That's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, wouldn't that make sense to, uh, to have negotiated this thing months ago? Um, and it, eventually, it'll come down to some sort of a negotiated settlement. Uh, the question is, is how many bodies are going to stack up before that happens? So if we're going to get, if we know we're going to get there eventually, and by just we, I mean the world, um, why not get there a little sooner rather than All right, later? so you're Who's a warrior. A- You've been in battle. You've seen men die, right? Pete, most of us listening to the show, probably the most we've ever had is a bloody nose of that in a football game. Oh, we tripped on our steps coming out of the shower and scuffed our finger and went to the hospital. You know, that's the the average person is what it is. We don't understand what death is in terms of being killed in combat. Who was it? Patton said, don't be afraid when you see your friend's guts blown out. You'll know what to do. Oh, I don't know. Did he say that? I was, that's not a patent quote I'm familiar with, but it does. Sound yes, like he him. said, when so you see your friend's guts hanging out. Don't worry about it, son. You'll know what to do. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a lot of these things that we're trained to do are, uh, are come very naturally uh, at the time just because of self-preservation and uh, your options being limited to defeating the enemy or dying yourself. Um, but uh, in terms of Ukraine, we're going to the West is going to have to get to a uh, negotiated settlement at some point. But why didn't we do it earlier? The question I ask is, how am I being manipulated here and uh, and who's benefiting from this? Who's benefiting by all of a sudden us not having a war in Iraq and Afghanistan? And now we have new countries joining NATO. We're beefing up other countries. And what does that mean? Who makes being NATO? That means you have to have an interchangeability of weapon systems, ammunition, all those sorts of things. So who's benefiting? Oh, those same companies that benefited for years in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I don't have to tell you that it's that this is a conspiracy theory, quote unquote. Uh, you can just look at it for what it is and uh, ask the question, why aren't we going to the negotiating table a little earlier here? Um, is there are there things that would be palatable to both sides? Um, perhaps. And we're going to have to get there eventually. So uh, in the meantime, there are certainly uh, industries that are doing quite well because of this war. Incidentally, the NATO round is what? What's the standard NATO round for a, for a combat rifle? Well, 7.62 or 5.56, 9mm uh, pistol. Okay. So those ones right there are, uh, are probably, probably the mainstay, if I'm choosing. And that's why ammunition's in short supply here in America for the average shooter. <laughs> it's <laughs> well, all going to Ukraine. Everybody stocked up a few years back. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I know a lot of people who have. So we can't meet our recruiting goals. Now, to help that recruitment, we bring in a uh, a guy who pretends to be a woman to recruit people into the Navy. That worked as well as Bud Light did. uh, What's going on here? Who's making these decisions in the military, Jack? (laughs) I don't know. But in the world of memes, there are some very clever ones out there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. They have they show the Bud Light thing. And then someone says, hold my the United States Navy. And then it says, quote, unquote, hold my beer. Okay. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I don't really have a 
good answer for, for any of those things. I'm just glad that I'm watching it from the outside. Let's just say that. But they are a nation in decline, writes, one, writes the author in this book. We'll talk about you in the third person uh, in one of your characters. The residents at Cape Idokapas, Krasnodar, Krai, Russia. So they're talking amongst themselves. And one says, but they are a nation in decline. All the signs are there. They have given up on national sovereignty. Oh, we have Title 42 being lifted. The border is being overrun, Jack. No military. Weaponize their justice system. Oh, really? Politicize their military. Really? And lost faith in their elections. I don't think you're talking about our country today, are you? <laughs> well, it's the Russian perspective, but it also seems uh, uh, eerily true um, if one's just to look at it. Um, those all those things are true. And what's the by, and is it by design? Um, I don't know who benefits. Once again, uh, elected officials benefit elected representatives. I, I don't call them leaders for a reason because they're elected representatives. Um, they certainly benefit by galvanizing bases, uh, continuing to divide us. Tech certainly benefits. And at the beginning, maybe it was to sell us a bar of soap or something like that, but it quickly became uh, something that uh, can be used not just to manipulate behaviors, but thoughts. Um, so I always ask that who who benefits and how am I being manipulated? But Jack, do you and worry as you're a very well-known author? You're probably one of the most famous authors in America now as a result of your best-selling books. And of course, the TV show, The Terminal List, the, the series. Do you worry about your personal safety from a government, our government? Do you give it thought, much thought? Oh, I do. Um, but I but I think about other things. Probably if I'm if I'm putting things yes. on this scale, I'm just looking at depending on where I am, crime in this in a city, whatever it might be. Um, so I think about all of that. I think about who who's a problem, who needs to go away, who needs to be silenced, historical trends. Mm. Um, what we go back to why uh, does the government continue to consolidate power, reach for more power, uh, whether it's slowly over time or a fast grab like during COVID? Uh, how do they uh, essentially inoculate a population to this continual power grab that only continues to grow a giant bureaucracy that doesn't benefit the citizen or small business? Um can you continues to encroach on our civil liberties to include the First Amendment, which was something that I never thought growing up uh, would happen because we were always told, hey, no matter what else we disagree on, we always come back to the First Amendment as Americans and we stand up for each other's right to say whatever we want. And now that is going by the wayside. And once that First Amendment is gone. Um, yeah, well, then we're living in England. Place. Once the First Amendment's gone, we're English. That's yeah, not a joke. We are, we are, not a joke. We are we are subjects, not citizens. Well, and, I'm uh, banned in Britain. I'm the only member of American media actually not able to enter Britain. I was banned in 2009 for things I allegedly said that were not 100 percent true. And they do not. I can't go to Britain. And so therefore, I cannot enjoy their uh, very famous dental work and their cuisine. But, I, <laughs> but I'm not allowed to enter Britain. I'm the only member of the Amer I, I woke up one morning, Jack, and I read on the Drudge Report at the time. Michael Savage banned from entering the United Kingdom for something you said. Yes. Now, we, I spent a lot of money hiring a British lawyer. I got nowhere trying to overturn it. But through uh, emails that were retrieved in England by the lawyer through then uh, whoever the prime minister was, Gordon Brown, his emails actually said we must balance the ban list. We have too many Muslims on it. So they put an American Jew on it 
called me for things I had said or allegedly said. And what I had said was I posed a hypothetical question, which is that if they, meaning the Muslim fanatics, have a nuclear weapon and we have nuclear weapons, I said, which would you prefer, a million of them dead or a million of us dead? So they took it out of context and said, Savage said, kill a million Muslims, which I didn't say. They twisted it. And so they made that the reason to not let me enter Britain. Would you believe this? Of course you believe. Well, I do. Yeah. <laughs> this is my shocked face. Um, <laughs> uh, taking things out of context is uh, and just throwing it up there in order to elicit a reaction. Uh, it's a tactic and it's one that you know shouldn't come a surprise to, to either of us or to anybody out there in the public space. But um, that, that's uh, a, it's a common tactic. And unfortunately, it gets those clicks and continues to divide and plays right into the hands of those who continue to consolidate power, uh, even though. Some of those people are elected to represent us and neglect to do so once they get into those seats. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Well, again, going back to the book that you wrote called Only the Dead. I can't wait to see it on Netflix, by the way. You know, you talk about the U.S. military and leaving Afghanistan and the Russian military. When the U.S. military had had their asses handed to them by a bunch of barefoot, illiterate savages with AKs and IEDs for 20 years. Great line. The Russians also got their asses kicked in Afghanistan, didn't they? Yeah, they had 10 years there. And we had those that decade. We could go and have gone back and looked at that and drawn some lessons and applied it to our conflict. And we we either neglected to do that or we we pulled out the wrong lessons. And I think initially we pulled out the wrong lessons, meaning we wanted the smallest footprint possible because we looked at a large Soviet footprint, um, which at what we at the time we called the Mujahideen saw as a lot of targets. Um, and they those people that were killed over there during that time frame would be flown home uh, essentially in the cover of darkness in what they call the Black Tulip, which was a, uh, a Russian cargo plane that would fly those people home. Their families were not told anything about how they were killed mm. uh, until finally Russian, Russian mothers really uh, rose up after their sons kept hum- coming home on these Black Tulips uh, dead. Well, how so many, Ru- how many Russians us- died? in that Ooh, i'll have to go back and look i'll have to go back and look i'm sure that the uh the numbers are probably a little skewed they never get the reality out. okay you never get the reality i'm not sure i did look it up not too long ago during research for this novel but i can't recall it right now um but i think we took the wrong lessons from that and that's the uh, imperial hubris that continues to plague us at our senior le- uh, senior levels um and it's the for some reason we cannot apply common sense to problem sets. Even the United States military had 20 years to prepare for our exit from Afghanistan. And after 20 years, we all got to see how that went down in August of 2021. And giving up Bagram, moving our troops into a tactically disadvantageous position. That's why people who have never had a touch point with the military, didn't serve, never read a book on strategy or tactics, never even seen a military movie, could have looked at that situation and applied some common sense and said and done it better than our senior level. Yeah, but shortly thereafter now, we're being sucked into the war in between Russia and Ukraine. I have known that we've had men on the ground for over a year. Anyone studying war knows this is a repeat of history. We had advisors in Vietnam before we had troops in Vietnam. Wouldn't it be logical to assume that special forces have been operating in in Ukraine for over, let's say, a, a long time right now? 
Well, if history is any indication, uh, both special operations forces and uh, intelligence service paramilitary operators uh, are probably on the ground there. I don't have any insider information on that. <laughs> Neither but, do I. But uh, no, no, it would be, be the first time that it didn't okay. happen. <laughs> Just as an outside <laughs> observer who, who analyzes things pretty clearly. All the weapons we're sending that they don't know how to use. Someone has to teach them how to use these things. There's that uh, there. And there's a whole host of reasons to be on the ground there. Um, and we would, I, I assume based on history and precedent that we would want to take advantage of that situation at those levels with intelligence services and the military. And people might listening or watching might ask, how can you do this? Well, there's different titles that allow uh, either intelligence services or special operators to actually work in a combat theater of operations when that hasn't been authorized by Congress. So there are these different titles at work and these laws that play that allow you to manipulate things to get troops and intelligence uh, paramilitary forces into certain areas of the world where that's not authorized by Congress. So, you know, fairly typical. <laughs> Jack, it says that you live in a certain place when I read the jacket of your book. Can I state what city you live in? Sure can. Okay. Sure can. And it's an important question for me. You, it says you live in Park City, Utah, which is what, 6,000 feet at six. Uh, right here, we're a little higher up and a little farther out of town. I like the high ground as a sniper. Ah, so I knew it. Give or take, let's say, give or take about a thousand. Well, <laughs> yeah, a little over that, but yes. Close. I've been in Park City once. I bought some nice clothing downtown, but man, I got altitude sickness just walking around the town. <laughs> yep. Yeah. People, especially up where we are, we're about as high as you can get as I look out these windows here. And yeah, pe some people do. Some people are susceptible to that at this uh, at this altitude. But we wanted to make a my wife and I wanted to make a physical and psychological break with the military when I got out of the SEAL teams in 2016. And I saw too many people who couldn't leave that life behind because it is so intense. Mm. And you're going down range with your brothers to your right and left. You're not worried about leaky roofs or changing diapers or anything like that. You're <laughs> focused on the at hand. And uh, then that's all of a sudden that's gone and you try to replicate that in the private sector and that's that's not going to happen. Um, so I saw a lot of guys have a hard time making that transition from special operations into the private sector. And so we thought, you know what, it'd be much more healthy, head up to the mountains, raise our kids in a ski town and uh, not be going to the same bars and restaurants and grocery stores and dropping our kids at the same schools as my peer group in the SEAL teams over the last 20 years. So uh, we came up here to the mountains and absolutely. But you're it. not the only Navy SEAL X or that I know of who lives in Park City. It seems to oh, attract oh. it seems to attract men of your background to a certain extent. Do you know any a lot of guys do you know any of the other guys from your background up there? Think in Park City. I don't know if I know anyone in Park City, but a lot of my friends and peer group moved to Montana. So not too far away, but uh, that Kalispell area, that Bozeman area seems to uh, be quite the quite the magnet for former special operators up there. A few places in Idaho as well. But, uh, but there are some guys around here, Army Special Forces guys that I know that have moved out here. Um, a couple of SEALs who are in surrounding areas, but uh, yeah, we, we like it up here. I like the high ground. I, again, I raise the question. I'm you know, always interested in the other man's perspective on the relative risk from a government that seems to be turning on its citizenry is what interests me. And we can speculate all we want. It's only a matter of who makes a decision to hit who and why. You know, when you live in a time like this, where you don't know where this government is coming from, you have no sense of of the ground underneath your feet and why they're doing certain things. But let's move past my paranoic delusions about this government under Biden. We'll go back. Well, it sounds like a healthy, healthy paranoia to me. <laughs> well, I've always, 
Remember, it's not paranoia if they're really after you. Who, who was it who said even paranoiacs are right every once in a while or something like <laughs> like a broken clock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> twice, <laughs> twice in their lifetime. <laughs> but of course, walking in downtown San Francisco today, uh, day or night, would put me at a higher risk than worrying about the, the State Department right now. Yeah. Unfortunately, I used to love this city. So it's a beautiful city. I try to stay out of the cities as much as I can these days. I'm just more more comfortable up here in the mountains. How many kids do you have, Jack? We have three, three, 17, 15, and 12. Amazing. It's an amazing job. Everyone who's a father, as I am, knows it's the toughest job in the world. It's, it's oh, yes. It's, it's, and I, I, my wife and I think about it quite a bit about the world that we're. Oh, my God. The- I have people who say to me, I'm not worried about myself. I'm worried about my children or I'm worried about my grandchildren. And I say to them, and this is a great question for us to discuss. I said, beneath my pessimism, there's an optimism. I believe we've reached the absolute limits of the left wing insanity in this country. And I think people have seen it. And I think that this Bud Light fiasco which I turned I made a bottle into a dud light just for fun for a TV show I was on. <laughs> I, I think that the average person is not that political, understands how crazy it's gotten. And that, you know, you're a Navy guy. When I say tide, the tide has turned. I believe that we can't perceive it. I, I live near the water. I live on the water. I've lived on the water for 25 years. I watch the four tides a day. I watch the birds. I watch the fish. I watch the clouds. I watch the fog. And I see the tides come in and I see the tides go out. And when a tide is really turning, you don't even know it at that point of turning. Right, Jack? That's right. You have a little bit of a, uh, a slack tide there uh, and then things <laughs> shift. Um, so I try to be optimistic. I'm glad you have that an, under, an undercurrent of, uh, of optimism. <laughs> um, I, try, uh, I try as well. But uh, then I think about just how gigantic this bureaucracy has become, and it doesn't shrink. It just continues to grow. But there are those people who don't have a voice, who don't have uh, a Twitter account or an Instagram account or anything like that, who are raising kids and want them to have the same options and opportunities that they had, um, and they can, they can vote. Um, so I think it's really about taking a breath and putting some real thought into the future direction of this country for our kids and grandkids. And that should be the guiding principle. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, Sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.